You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of RX Radio. Uh, this is final draw. Now, I, I can't imagine that there's going to be tickets left at this point or um, registration is likely going to be closed just by the way the initial pre-sale tickets went uh, for the Prescript Level 1 online certification course. Uh, really overwhelmed, guys. For those of you listening who signed up, uh, class starts tomorrow. Um, so really, really excited about the curriculum we have laid out for you guys for the next 16 weeks and just excited to see what rabbit holes we can start chasing down, especially when it comes to like the extracurricular forum. Um, everyone's going to be plugged in uh, and connected, which for me is, is the exciting part, like seeing some of the names on the list and, you know, from, from England to, you know, from England to Africa to, to Hong Kong to Australia to Canada to New Zealand, like to see to be able to, if nothing else, just bring together and connect so many like minds and so many smart people in one place is really going to be um, an experience for me. So I, I look forward to being able to sit back and being able to foster some of these relationships and, and sort of be the shepherd that herds all these people in the same place. Like it's going to be quite a learning learning experience for me to have a consolidation of, of such sharp people. I think that's the real value of courses like this. And that's what we want. Like, you know, we started Prescript, Junta and I, fuck dude, like three years ago now and it's just been like one evolution after the next but we definitely get excited um when we're able to connect people but also have people who want to represent what we stand for like if you guys listen to the podcast like you know this is this is what we this is what we bleed for day in and day out right like you know Junta waking up at 4 a.m making his hipster fucking coffee to you know shutting her down with a with a nice ribeye at the end of the day um you know he's making real change out there every like one one piece of red meat at a time if you don't follow red white and Junta, i I don't know what you're doing with your life uh and that's red white spelled incorrectly w-i-t-e and jordan so it's red white and jordan um He's the fr- and that is honestly with without like without not being facetious or anything. The first thing I do in the morning is I check Junta's Instagram just to see what he's up to, like just to see how he's doing, just to see how the steak turned out last night, or like how powerful the snatches are, or what the new Drake uh, song is. You know, there's a lot to be learned when you follow Red White and Junta. So uh, if if you don't follow him, um, you should and. Um, if you don't, you should do that now. I miss you, Junta. Um, so without, um, without going, getting too emotional and crying about my, my friend who I have not seen for too long, um, we're going to get into this episode. Uh, this is Jay Nira. So Jay's been on the podcast early days. Like Jay's, Jay's such a homie. He said yes when everyone else was saying no. Like I don't know what episode it was, but fuck if it wasn't like super early in, in RX radio sort of inception. Um, Jay is a uh, Canadian powerlifter, gym owner, um, but more recently, him and Paul O'Neill, who which we had on the podcast quite recently, have have come up with a really neat idea in in fitness sort of biometrics, and I, I feel like that's almost a negative connotation. Um, so I've been using MetroLife now for a few months, and you know, slowly starting to manage and track kind of my 
my physiological, but more so psychological state as it's, it's coming on a year. Like I have not, I have not had a home in, in over 365 days. Um, I'm currently standing in Los Angeles. It is 6.10 in the morning and I'm in this Airbnb. More, more often than not, after I look at Junta's Instagram in the morning, my, my immediate thought after that is where the fuck am I? Um, so at a certain point, I, I've become a little bit more mindful of what exactly, like what exactly is the toll taken on my body when it comes to, you know, being on planes every three or four days. Um, and then along with the training, along with the work, um, some sleepless nights and, and things of the sort. So I've been using MetroLife as a, as a means of tracking. Now it's, it's a fucking cup of coffee. Like it's not, and like the value you get from it is so it, it far exceeds anything. Like it's, it's money well spent when it comes to having access to the app and, and the technology that they're able to use and synthesizing your biometrics. And that's like your steps and all that crap, but having the subjective overlay of like, okay, that's all great, but I don't want a computer to tell me how you feel trying to find like subjective to objective correlations between metrics. Like I, I'm such a, fan of what they're doing um and jay will go into detail about this like especially when and that's the thing like if you're if you're uncertain or like you're not sure like again we don't fucking do sponsors like Neezy's not paying me to do this paul's not paying me to do this i i they're just fucking good dudes and like again like we talked about this the other day like with when we had tony jeffries it's like warrior in the garden man like fuck if jay near is not someone you do not want to meet in an alley like and and to have a guy like that you know, come from a place where it's like he was so passionate about about making this change in physical and, and more so mental health. Um, that's that's where you get your, your buy-in. Like again, like the meek, the naive need not apply. It's it's the fucking it's the hard no sons of bitches that when they start talking about this stuff, it's like okay, this matters. Like like I, you seen him lift, you see him train. It's like there's something not right with the guy. Like there's there's screws loose, there's dark places, but fuck, like it's someone like that that when they switch gears and go, hey guys, like pay attention to this shit. You, you sit there, nod your head, and go, yes, 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 sir. Um, so really, really cool episode, man. Like Jay's just one of the fucking smartest dudes. Like most well-read um, politics, political science, history, philosophy, psychology. Like you'd never, you'd never tell that the, you know, the barrel-chested, twenty-inch arm, two hundred and fifty-pound dude is also probably, probably one of the most. Uh, intelligent and cerebral and, and, and kind and thoughtful people you ever gonna you ever gonna want to meet. So uh, I really can't say enough good things about Jay. Um, I want to thank him again for coming on the podcast. We'll do all the show notes crap um, where to find him. But if you listen to me, I'm sure you already know where to find him on Instagram. But I think you guys are really 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 going to enjoy this because it's a good mix of kind of what the podcast has been about lately. Uh, and, and Jay's been a catalyst in this part of my life. Like met met him four or five years ago. Um, and just since Jump Street, like, has just been so, so, like, so generous and so, I don't want to say wise, but I, I, I struggle with a better word to describe Jay Nira than wise. Um, so I hope the wisdom is imparted on you. Uh, and he has half of the impact that um, on you as he's had on me. So without any further ado, guys, I, I really hope you enjoy this episode. This is Jay Nira on RX Radio. Born and bred, then. Yeah. So how long have you lived here for? Like if you did you did you move away for a bit? Is this on? Yeah. Well, born and raised in Ottawa, but I went to Western. Yeah. And then uh, what? Is your football right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, I still make I still make a joke that like 
that you were you were a football player when Ben was on the cheerleading squad. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. That's hilarious. Because yeah. I always like people make fun of me for like the stability stuff I do. I was like, dude, some of like the two of the strongest dudes I know were male cheerleaders. Ben. W- and Dan. Western Western cheerleading had like a bunch, there's about three monsters on the team. Really? Yeah, this one guy, uh, Jimmy, everyone called him Timber. He was like 6'5", 280. Yeah. This other guy, St. Bernard, was like 6'3", 260 maybe. And then Ben, these three monsters, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense though, right? Like yeah. if if I would have gone and done it again, that'd be the route I reckon I'd go. It's like lift weights and and meet girls. Because right now, like, I started lifting weights to meet girls, and you know who I get the most attention from? Guys. Guys. It's yeah. the worst thing ever. Yeah. I remember uh, I was training with Jimmy in the gym once, and I was just like, dude, why don't you come play football? Why don't you be a D-end? Like, you got the long arms, you're tall, big reach, you're crazy aggressive, you know? And he's like, Nira, he's like, every day I save women's lives. I throw them in the air, and then I save their life. He's the hero. He's the hero Gotham <laughs> needs, man. Like, he's, man. He's the dark knight of Western Ontario yeah. or Western University. Yeah. That's wild. And those guys were always, uh, those three guys I just named, they were always, uh, they always say crush extreme. Okay. Ever, does Ben still say that? I don't crush. know, but I'm going to, I might text him that right now just to see if he gets it out of context. Yeah. They, I just always hear them saying like, crush it, man, crush extreme. They're talking about like cheerleading, right? No, it was just, a, yeah, sure. Yeah, right, right. I think we're, we're reading between the yeah. lines. The what? other two guys were big into to metal. They were drummers, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was like their thing. What position did you play? Uh, I went on as a running back. Like, I grew up, so like, I never really played football until I was 16 because I wasn't allowed, so I like snuck in to play. Yeah. Uh, and I got in as a wide receiver because it's the easiest position to play. You just have to be fast, and I'm fast. Or was fast, hey, no. and <laughs> and uh, and then when I went to Western, I went as a walk on because I was originally a basketball player, so I was supposed to play basketball there. Right, all five foot a, ten, five foot ten uh, with Tim's if, on. If I ostrich and I'm wearing yeah. Tim's, yeah, yeah, I'm barely five nine in the mornings. If I'm ostriching, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I was supposed to play ball. And they had a really good squad. They, they had just come from, they were in the national championships a year before. But football tryouts were first, so I just went as a walk-on. And uh, I went in there, and we did all the testing and everything. And he looked at me, and he's like, you're not a, you're not a wide receiver. So he's like, I'm going to put you at running back. So he put me at running back. And then I played a little bit at running back, switched to slot back. Because the thing is, a lot of people, when they go to schools, you think it has a lot to do with... Um, how good you are, whether you start or not, but sometimes it also has to do with who else was there before you. So at the running back, there's already two really good running backs ahead of me, right? So like, you know I mean? A second year and a third year running back ahead of me, so you have to try and knock them off. So he saw that, so he put me at slot back, which I didn't really understand because at the same time he moved this guy, Christian Heffernan, who was 26 years old, had played for the farm team Atlanta Braves, just a freak of an athlete, and he was moving him from a wide receiver into slot back. And then there's this other guy from C-Japs, Guillaume LaRue was his name, uh, yeah. And, uh, and he was like 23, and I'm 18. Yeah. Right? right? And I'm trying to compete like, with Van Wilders over and here. And I'm like, you just moved me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, you just moved me to another position where I'm behind people. What did you so study in school? Economics. Economics, right. Yeah. Right, because as you, as you do, as a, as a giant fucking meathead, 
Yeah, well, I think it, it, it's it's a good point. Like the people I have on my podcast, like they're never one trick ponies. Like, the, and I think that's what people are coming to expect from like guests. It's just like the last thing they want to hear about is lifting. Yeah, right. Because it's like what reps, sets, fucking initiation on squat. Your knees come in because the adductors. No, bro, your knees come in because of the fucking glutes. It's like who gives a shit, yeah. man. Yeah, I kind of I kind of saw it as so. One, I, I blame. I had this the most amazing teacher in high school, Miss Body. She made she taught me accounting and economics. So two classes that you think most people kind of generally hate. Yeah. And she was such an awesome teacher. She brought so much enthusiasm and so much energy that they were my two favorite, favorite subjects. It's so funny because I started my academic career in politi- uh, political science and history. So I got a major in history and a minor in political science because Mr. Schroeder was my favorite teacher in high school because he, he taught history and he taught some anthropology and poli-sci in high school. And that was like, I liked the way he taught so much that it was almost the, the, the content in which he taught was almost an afterthought. And then I just, and now it's funny because I think I see us both in similar positions now that you see the influence that a good teacher can have. Yeah, and then as you go ahead and teach your craft, it's like, imagine if you could have that impact on someone. Like it's just, it's now it's not, it's not books and dates and tests. It's barbells, right? right. So, I think that's like a large part of what you guys are doing, whether it's in person at Dynamo or online is you're trying to teach people yeah. ultimately. When did you yeah. start to see that shift in like, that being kind of your passion because like most people don't know like what you do behind closed doors like the special olympic stuff that you guys do like most people would look at you and be like yeah i'm not walking down a back alley with this motherfucker yeah i kind of that's something i don't really uh it's something that i do for myself because i want to help or i want to like you know what i mean you want to contribute in that way and i feel like sometimes people when they're taking advantage of the, not taking advantage of those things, but they're promoting themselves as doing those things. It almost makes it lose its sincerity. Sure. So I didn't want to take that feeling away from myself by promoting it out there. Like, Oh, here I am doing special Olympics. Like I'm going to pretend like I'm such a good person, you know, cause I feel like so many people do that. And then I look at them and I'm like, you're just posting this to try to get likes yeah. or something. Which like, that's what you got me for. Cause yeah. I'll just tell everyone, I'll just tell everyone how awesome Jay is. But no, and I, I, I saw, I remember one thing that sticks to mind. There's this fucking CrossFitter that he went on. some. there was some campaign where people were putting an X on the back of their hand to, to end slavery because that's how you end it. Right. Cause you just put an X on your hand and then you put an Instagram post about it. And that's how slavery ends. Did you know really? that? Cause that, or like putting blue as your, as your display picture on Instagram is going to save like Syria or something. Like I get, it's just like totally facetious. It's like the fact that it's, it's, there's no action, right? Like it's all, it's all social fucking justice points at the end of the day. It's yeah. like that guarantee, guarantee X on his hand guy got laid because of that. Like, Oh, he's such a, he's such a humanitarian Neasy. Yeah. He's such a humanitarian. Yeah. Like, Fuck this kid. And then the people who actually like tried to do something and fought are probably dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, their names no, aren't in history. There's no hashtag for <laughs> yeah. that. But no, I think like it, it kind of segues into what I want to talk about is like this, the idea of like creating impact. Like we were speaking earlier about this idea of like meta impact and how do you, how do you scale that? Like, how do you scale that impact from, you know, being hands-on one-to-one with, you know, Special Olympics powerlifters in Ottawa, Ontario to then, okay, I want to have a greater, I want to create a greater reach. And it's a weird, because we've talked about this before. Like, I remember distinctly our conversation in Toronto, like, fuck, was it three years ago? Was that long ago? I think it was three years ago, man. Or maybe it was two. Like, just 
just you were one of the first and you were probably of all my friends the most well-read on like existentialism psychology philosophies did you ever think that at your age you'd be thinking like this i don't i don't know to be honest with yeah. you i've always kind of i've always kind of just wanted to to like learn um i don't know it's hard it's hard to tell like Yes, I would like to think so because yeah. I've always questioned things my whole life. Like growing up, I've always been that person who was kind of like, what, what are people talking about? This doesn't make sense. And then I want to go figure out why. Um, like even like we were talking about like economics at school. Uh, I was the guy who in my macroeconomics class raised my hand and said, I don't understand this because the debt is greater than the money supply. So how can we ever pay off? Like if everyone took every penny and every dollar out there to pay off the debt, there would still be debt and there's interest on the debt. So how does the debt ever go away? And my teacher, like, he like looked at me and he didn't know, he was kind of like, well, you know, that's how we are in Keynesianism. And uh, we have this saying, you know, in the long run, we'll all be dead. And everyone's like, and I'm just, well, you know, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, isn't it? well, my kids, my kids, kids, they won't be dead. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I called my dad, like literally that night I called my dad and like, I don't want to study this anymore. This is stupid. I want to quit. This is my second year. I'm like, I don't want to be here. And, uh, and he was like, well, what's your plan then? You know, my dad's a very supportive guy, but he like wants yeah. me to be rational. So like, well, what's your plan then? And I'm like, I'm going to be a firefighter. He's like, I'll go to that school in Texas. And, you know, I was just a young, impulsive kid. And he's like, okay, well, you know, if you want to be a firefighter, it's still going to be much easier for you to become a firefighter if you have a degree. Because they'll they'll see you, you know, moving up the ladder, et cetera. And I'm like, okay. He's like, so I'll I'll finish my degree. My dad's willing to pay for it. Cool. Yeah. Right? Um, But that's what happened. I was like, so for the rest of my economics degree, I was like, what the hell is this? This is so stupid. This makes no sense. So I've always, I've always questioned things and questioned traditions and, and I always question authority. It's kind of just how I am and it makes it hard. That's why I'm an entrepreneur, right? Because I have a boss and I'll think my boss is stupid if I notice it and then I won't respect them and I won't want to listen to them and I'll ask them questions and then they'll get annoyed with me and we won't, you know what I mean? I feel so bad for Paul. <laughs> you must be, as a business partner, you must be a giant pain in the ass. But that's like, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Paul and I get get along pretty well. Yeah. Um, like we we haven't had any arguments yet, or none that I would consider an argument. Yeah. But uh, like one thing that happens is when I originally like was working with this idea, and I realized I wanted to bring it about. One of the things I did was I. I was heavily studying personality types, uh, Myers-Briggs more specifically. And, uh, and I actually like contemplated other people, like everyone's personality types, if I wanted to work with them on anything. Yeah. And um, So for those unfamiliar with Myers-Briggs and personality type, could you give us like a quick rundown of what that entails? Yeah, so My- Myers-Briggs is like, you're basically breaking it down into 16 different personality types. And they're based off of four major... Uh, like opposites, I guess yeah. you could say, but it's, it's on a scale. So it's not necessarily like, like a traits. dichotomy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So it'll be like, so you have introverted or extroverted. Yeah. Uh, you have intuitive or sensing, thinking or feeling, and then judging or perceiving. Okay. Right. So I'm, I'm what you call an INTJ. Uh, INTJ, so introverted, intuitive, thinking, and judgmental. So if you had to think of us like... If you had to think of characters that are like INTJs, you'd think of like Hannibal Lecter, hey, what a <laughs> Hannibal <call>. Lecter, <laughs> Batman, uh, Spock, yeah. right? People who are highly rational, 
um, and don't let their emo their emotions have very little to do with their decision making. So would you say that kind of INTJs are are maybe more stoic and kind of to bring uh, it to light? Maybe a more naturally, popular naturally very stoic. Like they get a bad rap because people think of them as being very uh, cold and narcissistic. Yeah. Um, but the, narciss the narcissistic part I completely disagree with because the narcissism aspect has to do with lacking empathy. And it's just more INTJs are less inclined to show empathy. It doesn't mean we don't feel it. Like right. I, I'm a very emotional person. I bottle things up very, very strongly sometimes. But when it comes to a decision making, like if we're in a battle and someone's leg gets blown off and someone's freaking out, oh my God, Jordan's leg got blown off. I'm not going to sit there and think about that. I'm going to get a fucking tourniquet on you right away. Yeah. That's well, because I, I think mean? one of my favorite lines from one of the favorite books I've read in the last couple of years is from Ryan Holiday's Obstacle is the Way. And it's like emoting about a problem is not dealing with a problem. And I right. think in our day and age, especially with people so inclined and, and, and maybe encouraged to be to fall victim to the lesser angels, like to emote is to it's it's unsophisticated because it's not a you're you're allowing yourself to fall into that where it's like having the having the forethought to be like, okay, Jordan's leg is blown off. That is very sad. We'll deal with the sadness later. Let's make sure the rest of Jordan doesn't die. Right. Right. So like emoting and dealing with a problem are often conflated or often equated in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But like your ability to put that on the back burner. Like, yeah. I, th I think, I think it's like, it's, it's just the part that we, we should focus most on is the self-awareness of the emotion because the emotion is a signal. Emotions, like if you're extremely happy, it's a signal that something great is happening and maybe you should analyze it and enjoy it so that it can happen some more or you can work on making it happen some more and when you're really upset, that's, that's a signal. Why am I upset? Like what is really bothering me? What is the root of my feelings, right? And then we can look at treating the cause and not the symptoms. When was right? your first sort of exposure to having a subjective analysis of like these feelings? Like how did... Like, this is something that I asked you about. Did you ever think that it'd be weird at this age to be thinking kind of existentially, like the way you are? Like, I never thought at the age of 29, I'd be thinking about impact and legacy, like the way I am, to the degree I am, and to the frequency I am. When did you start thinking this way about like, okay, I want to start to document how I'm feeling so I can start to create somewhat of a black box and so I can start to navigate these feelings a little bit better? When did that start as like a strategy for you? I don't know. I think it's more of a natural inclination because uh, I'm constantly or we are all constantly trying to evolve. And are we all, though? Well, I, I think... Good question. I don't know. I like to think we all are, but I also think there's a lot of apathetic people out there who like are kind of holding back humanity. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, don't know, like, I don't know how else to put it. I, I literally think Near a 2020, go and cast your <laughs> like, votes. I, I, I seriously think but that. But no, that's not, I mean, you, know? you find yourself drawn to these types of people who have these conversations, but you realize that, oh, fuck, like the, the guy behind me at, oh, at Whole Foods who drives the Scion with the vote Bernie Sanders sticker, we might all be fucked, man. Because like <laughs> these, these conversations are so valuable to me because they're so rare. Because I don't know if we're all pushed in that direction. Yeah. I remember when I was... Uh, 1920, I was uh, I was reading the Bible. I was like, you know what? I did it. I read the Bible twice in my life. Okay? Yeah. So this is at university, and uh, I'm in my second year, first second year, and I just start reading it. And I'm dating this girl, and 
we're talking about God and I'm asking her, does she believe in God? And I'm like trying super hard to believe in God. So I'm like, just no, have faith. It's all about faith, you know, and I'm pushing myself hard. And she's like, oh, I'm agnostic. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Like, I still do you know. Sure. And she's like, well, I think there's something greater, but I just don't really know what. And I'm like, oh, well, let's talk about it. Like, what do you think? And I was trying to explore her thoughts. And, and she just seemed like really like she didn't care very much to talk about it. And I kind of, and I remember like, we didn't get in a fight about it, but she felt very insulted by me because I said something along the lines of, I don't get how you cannot even care or want to investigate or want to talk about it. It makes me think that you're just like aloof walking in the clouds. Like you don't care. You know what I mean? Like yeah. makes me think, like I didn't say airhead or bimbo, but I think that's how she took it. Between the lines. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like when people are like that, though, that is a little bit how I feel. Like I don't understand how people, like there's this planet, we're in a universe, blah, blah, blah. Cue all the Joe Rogan comments. Sure. You know, but what the fuck are we? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's some interesting shit, you know? So, uh, and that, that's where like mythicist fist was because Al Albert Camus really like talked about that stuff. Like, you know, what is life? What's the purpose of life? Why shouldn't we just kill ourselves, et cetera? Yeah. And that's where it like gets really interesting. But uh, well, I mean, because that's why like I'm not religious, but I understand the evolutionary utility of religion. And I mean, one of our, I mean, not going to name names, but one of our close friends, he's religious, but at least there's, there's depth and thought there. Like some of the best conversations I have are with religious people across the board, regardless of like, I've read the Quran, I've read the Bible, I've read the Gita. And it's like, at least someone, at least you're asking the question. Yeah. Right. And it's like, that's your answer or as that's how you operate in the world as if that's your belief. Like that is how you hopefully make actions. Cause like to believe in something I think is, is it's, 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 un, it's low resolution, right? Like to say you believe in something is, is, is almost like who would have, and I, I forget where I'm pulling this quote, but who would have the audacity to say that they believed in God, right? Like one of Nietzsche's, only, like the only quotes that I remember from reading all of his stuff is that the only true Christian was Christ, right? Because he was the only one who acted as if God was real, yeah. right? It's the action, right? And it's like, it's, that can be paraphrased down to a Monday motivation Instagram quote. It's like, you know, all talk, no walk or something like that. So it's belief isn't the idea. It's not the fundamental point. It's how you act as though you represent what you believe. So at least you're having the question. But like the idea of that, you know, everyone's trying to push the envelope forward, I think is like I meet people who are entirely dispassionate. Like I don't give a fuck if it's chess or if it's lifting weights. If chess makes the hair on your arm stand up, then fuck yeah, I'm in. If it's God that does that, I'm in. But if people are just like, well, you know, watch Game of Thrones last weekend. It's like, <laughs> all right, I'm done here. Yeah. How is it that you operate now? I mean, because I mean, we're obviously going to be pushing the envelope towards like the journaling process and the introspection because I think that's, that's where a lot of people, especially in the strength community, lack because I think that's why they go to the barbell because they don't have the ability to have hard conversations with themselves. Like you, you go through like a journaling practice. Is that a daily thing? Uh, yeah, every day I do some, some, uh, some journaling. Uh, so I'm actually publishing a book very soon called uh, Systems Journaling, and it's uh, Sisyphus is Smiling, yeah. and then Stems Journaling. So what I'm doing is I'm giving people stems to sentences, and you would write out, you'd finish the sentence, like a sentence completion journaling, uh, over and over for three to five minutes uh, for various stems, and then it really gets your brain thinking. It just forces, it forces a person to think about things. I could sit here and I could say, 
self-responsibility, Jordan. It's all about extreme ownership, owning your thoughts, owning your feelings. This is this, you know, self-ownership, blah, 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 blah. You'd have to say it's like a, with a yeah. voice like this. And, it's like and, for and, a foxhole. And some of it might resonate with you, but some of it might not resonate with you, right? And it's because it's me trying to pound it into your ear. Even if I write a book that says all these things down, and then you're reading the book, it's not all going to resonate with you. But if I say, hey, Jordan, you know, and I give you this stem, and it says, people who, who make excuses always tend to. And then you finish it on your own. Right? Is that like a, like a Rorschach's test, like an ink plot? That to me seems like, because it's, it's your interpretation, right? Like it's your lens. Like every, everything looks like a fucking angry butterfly to those, for, uh, yeah, it's Rorschach's uh, ink plot test. Is that almost a like parallel you could make? Uh, I, I wouldn't do that. Okay. Uh, maybe. Uh, it's, I see it as the, the, the stem, the, the start of the sentence, yeah. it creates a trajectory, right? It's prompting a particular topic. And however you explore that topic, you are going to end up in a particular place. If I say people who make excuses always tend to, you're not going to say, most people aren't going to say people who always make excuses tend to accomplish a lot of things in life. Or yeah. people who tend to make excuses are, it's always other people's faults that they don't do well. We're going to tend to have sentences along the lines of people who always make excuses tend to not accomplish as much in life. People who always make excuses tend to blame others. People who always make excuses tend to not change or tend to not evolve or tend to not take responsibility for themselves. We're going to say these same types of things, right? And so we're all going to write down, and I'm not saying we're all going to have the exact same sentences, but it's the trajectory, right? So we're all going to have this similar trajectory, and you're writing it down. It's not me telling it to you. It's your thought. You own your thoughts, and it's material now. It's on paper, right? So it's your thoughts on paper. You're going to respect them. You're, you're going to respect them much more than you'll respect reading Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules of Life or Jocko's Discipline is Freedom. And you respect those books. They're good books. I'm not talking them down, but I'm saying when it's your thoughts, your thoughts material in reality, you're going to want to look at them more. So I, give, I have all these stems, which I thought about for a long time, and, uh, and the whole goal is a trajectory towards what I call the Sisyphus' smiling attitude which if I were to just sum it up in a sentence, which doesn't really serve it that much justice, would be like, you know, the two major tenets of like Sisyphus is smiling are simply to be living consciously with a strong sense of self-responsibility and to always be striving to evolve. That's it. That's Sisyphus is smiling. And, uh, and that's what those journals are kind of all about. Now, I mean, I know the story of Sisyphus, but for those unaware, because this has been this like when it's it's synonymous. Like Sisyphus, I don't even think of Greek mythology. I think of easy, like because that's <laughs> been it's like it's it's process oriented, right? Like, but could you give the story like a little background about what the story of Sisyphus is? Yeah. So so briefly, there's a, there's actually two different versions, but the more popular version is so Sisyphus, this ruler, he fooled death. So death came to take him, and he kept playing these tricks on death and evading death. And then eventually death finally caught up to him. And as a punishment, they put him, his, he was tasked to push a boulder up a hill. And every time he would get close to the boulder reaching the top of the hill, the boulder would fall back to the bottom of the hill, and he would have to start over for eternity. And that is the, the, 
the like, that is the task or the Sisyphusian, Sisyphean task is trying to get that boulder up the hill. So anytime you have like a task that feels like you can't complete, it's a Sisyphean task. Um, and, uh, and Sisyphus is smiling was like kind of, I sparked that sentence from the myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus. And uh, at the end of the book, he has a long quote, but basically the heart of it is, uh, the struggle alone is enough to fill a man's heart, right? So having, having it's, it's the purpose, because the whole book is about what's our purpose. Like, we don't know what life is. We can't talk about life after death, but if we just, so we, we shouldn't kill ourselves, so why should we live? And he, it's like, I don't know. It's like, but everyone needs to find their purpose. So if you're struggling, you should be thankful for that struggle. It's, it's giving you purpose. You have something to strive for. So for me, it is to always striving to evolve into something better, into something bigger. And like you talk about impact. So my, my idea of impact all stems from strength. Like, you know, Conan for me when I'm little, yeah. I'm four years old, I'm learning to use a VHS, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I'm learning to use a friggin', friggin' tape player, play Conan, because I'm obsessed with this guy, he's getting strong, Nietzsche's uh, Doesn't Kill Us makes us stronger is at the very beginning of that movie, so it's my first actual quote. Subliminal, wow, at the yeah, age of four, no wonder you got out you know, the it's fucking like, what reading, does that say? Right? Yeah. You know, like, daddy, what does that say? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't kill us makes us stronger. It's like, ah! Yeah, look you out. Know? But, uh, but so, so it's always been kind of like in my subconscious is like the goal is to always become stronger as a person. And then, uh, and then that's where like, like, what is strength? And you saw my thing on animal. I cried. I quoted it. I tear up when I talk about it, man, because it's that one came from the belly when I said it. When I said it, it was it was real, and uh, and that that is it though. It's it's you know to become an immovable object and an unstoppable force. So at first, like we talk about our development, like you know how we are now versus when we were young. So at first, it was always just about becoming physically stronger. Always. Like, I always wanted to be the best athlete, fastest, strongest. I always wanted to be the fiercest competitor. And then as I got into my 20s, I started thinking more about, uh, about the mental side of things and started being a lot more introspective and aware of the things I'm thinking and how they can impact my life. And then you start realizing, like, you open a gym, you get into personal training, and you realize, wow, like, I have reshaped all of these people's lives. There was one year, we had, like, 150, 160 members. We had this Christmas party. And it was just packed. And my business partner, Willie's dad, came in during this Christmas party, and he, he almost teared up. He was, like, so proud of his son. He's like, I can't believe, like, this is great. Because like, he was like, I can't believe my son did this. You know what I mean? And it almost, like, made me happy because, you know, it was my gym too, yeah. right? So I was almost like, oh, I wish my dad would have seen this and seen all these people here. And, and, uh, and you realize, like, wow, like, all these people's lives are changing. Like, since I've opened that gym... I would say out of, like, we've been open for nine years, I would say maybe, like, somewhere between eight and 12 marriages have happened from that gym, and maybe, like, six to eight kids are a result of that gym, you know, and even all the other gyms that have opened up in the city, like, there's two other really popular gyms, but the guys who opened those gyms were members at my gym. So it's like, you can kind of see how, through something as simple as physical culture, you can have a solid impact on people, right? And that's teaching people to move things, right? Um, And then, like, as I I got more and more into philosophy and I start studying psychology and, uh, 
and like personality types and different types of narcissism, I really started thinking about, you know, like helping people. And, and when you start like, you know, when people start coming to you more and more to talk about life and, you know, you notice people want more advice from you more and more often, it's a good feeling to know that, like, it's a great feeling when someone messages you and says thank you. Uh, even, like, sometimes on Instagram, people reach out to me and they ask questions. And I might recommend a book or I might say some a different way of looking at their situation. And, like, most of these people feel weird for messaging me. They're like, Jay, like, I'm sorry. I just, I feel like you might have a good answer for me, so I'm just going to try. And then they're, one, they're super grateful that I took, like, 10 minutes of my time, like it takes nothing, 10 minutes of my time to answer some questions for them and to give them my perspective. And then like two, three months later, I hear from them and it's like, Jay, thanks so much, da, da, da. And I'm like, wow, like I didn't expect to hear this. So it just makes me feel good. And, uh, and that is awesome. And then, so now I'm like at this point where it's like, okay, how can I upscale this? How can, how can I have more impact? Because if it's to be an unstoppable force, then you got to, move like an earthquake is an unstoppable force right i'm not an earthquake i'm a fucking breeze <laughs> you know what i mean some people come and it's like <sighs> yeah you know here you go buddy like thanks for coming my way i'm happy to help but like how can you actually help people more right and uh and that's where like mentally because i see like uh i see like the mental components is like the stability aspect uh that's like what the journaling is and then the app is kind of like my my way of trying to help people just change their whole lives in a completely different way because the app is encompassing everything. It's it's not just like, like we do in these updates where we're tracking activities now and we have all these types of journaling. I'm putting my systems journaling into the app as well so that every day people will get one stem and then they can just, you know what I mean? Just yeah. the practice of it and... It'll show up on your weekly reports and if you want to share it with your friends so they can see it and have an idea of all the different journaling we're doing, whether it's a gratitude, the systems, the rating, your day, etc. And you can also like track your activities to see how the different activities that you do can affect uh, like your mood that day, your wellness score, etc. So people can actually track, you know, how many times this month did I meditate? Right, and well, my wellness score has been on average 87, which is 5% higher than last month, and I only meditated 10 times last month. So they can see these things, right? So the app for me is, is like kind of like this bigger grand scale thing. It's just obviously I have to get it out there and put it in more people's hands, but I feel like it will help, it will help people get that sense of self-awareness because everything starts with self-awareness, right? Like, if we're not aware of the things we do, how do we know to change them, yeah. right? I think that it's funny because in, in just being running in smaller and smaller circles, chasing people with the same idea, like having a meta impact, right? Like, how do you go from, you know, impacting a few lifters in the gym you train at to owning the gym and having an impact on a couple hundreds of people? What, what ultimately the, the trend I'm seeing in the, what differentiates people who are, are satisfied with like, and, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with it, but the, the overarching theme I see in people who get out of their own way in order to scale their impact is the, is the meaning part. Like how much meaning they get from the responsibility that they adopt. And like whether it's, I, I, can't, I can't remember what book you, 
you well, you referenced Nietzsche and you referenced um, what was the Sisyphus book? Myth of Sisyphus. Right, the myth is that's just like an interpretation of the mythology, right? Like, why not to kill yourself? Why not to kill yeah, yourself? Yeah, well, he just uses Sisyphus, but it's really the, the whole question of the book is like, yeah, why shouldn't I just commit suicide? Yeah. Which to me is like, and one of my one of my favorite books that like when I hear you talk about it is Man's First Search for Meaning. Like, I think of the same thing, like. Yeah, why, why not? Like, well, what is the reason why? And the reason, I think, is in a, adopting responsibility. And you are just another example. And to me, like, you're probably one of the prime examples because people don't realize how well-read you are on philosophy and psychology because they look at you and go, this guy's just a meathead. It's like, yeah, but it's the meathead who's, like, he's, has got so much meaning and so much responsibility that he's looking to impart by any way he can. Like, you and Paul O'Neill, when I think of perhaps two of the most technically inept human beings when it comes to computers are, are like, I just, I mean, I lived in the Silicon Valley for eight years. I know what a software engineer looks like. I know what app developers look like. And sorry, bro, you're not them. But with what you guys are doing is like, what's driving that ship? Are you familiar with, uh, I got this from a, a Senec interview where uh, he talked about the Wright brothers. Are you familiar with the story of the Wright brothers? They're the guys, uh, well, guys who invented, supposedly flew for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, right? like invented what we know to be fixed wing flight. There was a, someone else in the running, right? And I forget the name of the other guy. Ah, maybe it'll come to me as we're telling the story. But the Wright brothers had every disadvantage in the book, right? And this is something I, um, one of my, one of my like, lighter reads that I like is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, and they talk about people who use relative disadvantages to actually make make them opportunities, right? Or make them um, differentiations from other people who are just run of the mill. So it's like uh, the Wright brothers had, they were, there was someone else who was going for fixed wing flight and they had the backing of the government. They had a lot of investment, but those things made them complacent, right? So what you guys are doing, I mean, you're entering into a space of people who are, you know, they, they, have, they have financial backing. They know the technical space of app development, but they don't have what you guys have. And that's a seemingly disadvantage of being two very mindful meatheads mm. with a chip on their shoulder and just an incessant asking of why, why, why. Mm. That makes, I think, makes your product. Because up till now, um, we had Paul on a couple months ago, so people will be familiar with MetroLife. But right now, this is the only app I know that deals in the level of the conscious to start to affect the subconscious. Right. right. That's the way I frame it based off of like, putting in subjective shit that you have control over and then seeing on the back end, okay, how does this change like your, your HRV or how does it change your pulse rate and all this other crap that's a manifestation of the way we act consciously but changing the conscious mind. Right. Like I have, I have the hardest time. Like I, I am the shittiest self-promoter yeah. and I am, I'm just very shitty at selling. It's just something I've never been good at. It just always seems insincere to me. So I'm not good at it. It's something I have to work on. Yeah. I'm obviously trying to work on it, but it's just deep down, it, it feels something feels insincere about it to me. So it's hard for me. But when I'm trying to like discuss the app to people, uh, like we have like these stock sentences that we like to say, like one of them's like, it's an education tool for measuring, managing and adjusting your lifestyle metrics. And that is what it is. Or on, on the iTunes store, we have it, a uh, your roadmap. It's a roadmap for improving your physical or sorry. It's a roadmap for roadmap for improving your health and performance in mind and body. And those are both awesome sentences. They feel great. And, but really, like, it's just a behavior modification or a behavior change app. And behavior, like, the majority of our behaviors are unconscious. 
the majority of our behaviors are habits, right? We hear Aristotle, you know, excellence is a habit. But like, well, what are our habits? You know, all of our habits are these things that are on autopilot. So 90% of the things you do every day, 90% of the things I, every, I do every day, they're habits we learned. And we're not conscious of them all. We're unconscious of so much of our actions. And it's like a human tendency because it takes a lot less thinking to do something you do all the time. So we autopilot, it's efficient, and that's how we just get through our days. That's why it's great to have an awesome morning routine. You know, you get up early, do this, this, and this, and then, you know, nine o'clock, you've already done so much, right? And it's because it's this autopilot version of ourselves. But we have so many things that aren't routines that we wrote, like my bedtime routine, my morning routine, my workout routine. We have so many things that we do, and not even just that, we have thought processes that we do that create certain outcomes that we are unaware of. And we, and like I said, self-awareness is number one. Self-awareness is everything. Without self-awareness, you know, we're missing a lot of variables. We're missing a lot of pieces to the puzzle. So that's what we're, that's what the app is. The app is a behavior, is a behavior changing app, but it's primarily, it's primary like power is in getting you self-aware of your all of your actions, the ones that you're unconscious about and conscious about, so that you can start looking at where you're headed through them. And then we have real change because then we're harnessing the power of association, which as we know in psychology is like the most important thing because that's your why, right? And you have the why, then we understand the, the how is much easier, etc. That's, which, who's that? Uh, uh, si Simon Sinek has a... Uh, the golden circle is that it? No, what's the no? It's uh, he who he who has a why can withstand any how. Who is that? That is that Nietzsche? Know. I don't know. He yeah, that's I think that's that's Nietzsche. He he who has a why can withstand any how. You'll put that when you publish this. You'll put that in the thing. No show notes. One thousand percent, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah. No, I just I just think it's so for me. Like I've gone on record, and I I hate tracking apps. Like I hate. I, I hate the idea of like a Fitbit because so there's a there's a quote fuck I, I just like all quotes uh, the technology is is a good tool but a better master so I, I think in and even in sitting down with Paul like how how specific you guys are in the words and the meaning I draw from like just the subconscious and your word selection like the the thing the tagline for the app about it being a tool it's a tool where something like a Fitbit is a master. It's like, I have to appease my Fitbit and take 10,000 steps a day. It's like, well, yeah, that, that turns into a little bit of a game, but I almost looked at it, I'm, I've drawn the comparison to like, I have a credit card that gives me points to fly and I can fly very comfortably because I fly a lot, but it's a game. It's a game. It's, it's demonetizing my fucking crazy expenditures on flights and turning it into this currency that doesn't exist. I can, I can, I don't, I control it, but people put themselves in debt playing this game because they're playing, they're not, they're my credit, their credit card is not a tool, it's a master. Right? Mm -hmm. And I look at your, like I look at MetroLife in contrast to other tracking apps because MetroLife is a tool, it's a tool, it puts a wind, it puts a mirror up in front of you and goes, here, this is, this is what you are. This is the consequence of the actions you willingly take, like your conscious actions. Here's, a, here's the, the subconscious manifestations where I look at a Fitbit and I go, oh, fuck, All right, it's nine o'clock. I better, I better go pound some pavement because I got another 4,000 steps in. That's a master, right? right? Where it's like that's, that puts you, just like the credit card, that can put you psychologically in debt, 
right? Where it's like, I can collect all these points and my, my wrist vibrates that I made a thing and I did a walking goal today. It's like, yeah, but at what cost, right? Like, what's, what's your objective outcome? Is your objective outcome to get a pat on the back from a fucking thing around your wrist? Or is your objective outcome to be more aware and make change, right? Because, like, I don't, I, like, we don't have sponsors. We don't endorse shit. Like, I, I talk to people that make shit that I like and make sense. And, like, hopefully, like, people listening, like, they know this by now. Like, I don't pull punches. But just the thought process alone in MetroLife makes a lot of sense to me because it's, like, what I like about the, the systems thing, and this is the first I've heard of it, is that I get so fucking sick of people putting up like, here's my daily stoic quote of the day. There you go, Instagram. What do you think about that? That's yeah. my daily, and nothing, I mean, I like Ryan Holiday. I think he's a great author. Stoicism as a thought process is something that I think I resonate with, like temperance, wisdom, all like the four pillars of stoicism. I think that's something inadvertently that I've stumbled upon, but that's not, Posting something someone else's words is not impactful. That's not yeah. meaningful. It's it's what can you get from your own subconscious? Because it's like those stems. It's it's we're just forcing you to think about something that you never think about, right? Like if I say living consciously to me means well, a lot of people will read a quote that says live more consciously. Yeah, and we all hear that. Like it's a, it's great. It's true. Like I believe it. But how many people actually think of all of the different ways you can live consciously, right? It's like, I can be more aware of my thoughts, aware of my emotions, aware of your thoughts, aware of your emotions, aware of your body posture, aware of my body posture, right? I can be aware of people's energy when they walk in the room so I know how to treat them, right? If I ask someone a question, I can think about their answer and maybe, maybe I can decide if there's something I can do to help their day, if maybe they're not having a good day, right? There's, there's so many different things with living consciously that we don't think about and we don't analyze and maybe you'll think about one little thing that you wouldn't have normally thought about and you'll apply it that day and that's the key the application because you know what, you know what drives me nuts is like gratitude is not posting shit on instagram gratitude it's like it's my, my it's my gripe with belief my gripe with you should act as though if you believe in something and it's the same thing with gratitude it's like to sit down and do a fucking insta story i'm so grateful for this that and fucking the other thing it's like no, 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 you should act as if you're grateful. What does that right. look like when you act as if you're grateful? What does it look like when you act like you believe in something, right? And I think the, the, that was just in the words you use there. Like, it's put into action. Yeah, well, one of the things that happened to me, so when, before I, before I like, finalized this project, the, the journaling, um, and this was originally just a project done for the app, and then after I'm like, you know what? Like, I want to make this a journal. I think this could really help some people if I do it a few different ways because we're limited how we can do it in the app. So I'm like, I want to do this as a book as well. So, um, but one of the things that happened when I was creating all these questions, I did uh, 30 days with, I had about 45 people that I emailed every single day. I emailed a stem to. And I had different ways, like some of them, one week I did three stems with a, with a review, reflect, apply, and acknowledge, like, other aspects to do and some days was just one stem a day and then other other weeks I just did the same things repeated every single day for the week to really hammer things home and I just played with it and uh, and for me because obviously I did it as well and for me I had one and it was three in one day and it was living enthusiastically to me means if I were to live with five percent less enthusiasm today and if I were to live with 5% more enthusiasm today. And so like living enthusiastically. So to me, it's like, you know, having a little bit more energy, showing people you're passionate, like, um, 
having better body language, more uh, having better body language, asking people more instead of just asking one question, seeking to learn more, paying attention to people more. Just all these different things come about, right? And then I'm like, okay, well, if I were to live today with 5% less enthusiasm, People might think I'm apathetic. People might think I'm aloof. People think I might not care. Uh, people will find me less interesting. People won't want to listen to the things I say. I won't. I will be a worse salesman. Blah 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 blah. And then it's like, if I were to bring five percent more enthusiasm to my life today, people will realize how much I care. Uh, I will bring more energy into a room. I will be more likable. I will be more interesting. I will be a better salesperson. And I finish it. So I'm review and reflect, and I'm just like. You fucking moron. Like, you're in your 30s and you're only now realizing that if you bring 5%, a little bit more of yourself to people, your life can get better in a hundred different ways. Right? And, uh, and I was just like, holy fuck. So for me, that was my eye opener out of all those. And for other people, it might be something to do with self-responsibility or, you know, some other aspects of their lives. But for me, it was enthusiasm. I was like, all I have to fucking do is bring a little bit more energy. It's that simple. Later that day, man, I went to get a haircut, and uh, the people who cut my hair are these girls I went to high school with, and one of them, her older, her older sister was there, and her, uh, I don't want to say too much information, but her husband was gone for an extended period of time. And, uh, and I'm in there, and I'm like, hey, that guy looks like so-and-so. And she's like, it is. And I'm like, oh, I thought he wasn't coming back for another like decade or whatever. And they're like, no, he's back, you know? And, uh, and I was like, wow. So later, I went and talked to this woman, and I was like, wow, uh, like, you know, he's, he's back. And she's like, yeah. And, I, and all I said was, you must be so happy. And that's something I wouldn't normally say. Like, I'm an INTJ. I'm a very introverted person. I, I don't really get into people's business. I think things like that. But all I did was I said it, and I was like, you must be so happy. And she looked at me, and she's like, it was almost as if like, oh, Jay's like thinking about how I'm feeling in my, and like we connected from that. And I'm like, that's just, I'm like, that's 5% more. It's like, I just, you know, I just bonded with this person a little bit. We just connected that little bit more because I brought 5% more of myself. And then I went to the gym later that day and, you know, people like get in that automaton kind of, hey, what's up? Not much. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, or, how's your or, hey, good? how you doing? Yeah, Not much. <laughs> I've asked people all the time, like people are like, oh, how's it going? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, good. You? And it's like, wait, I just asked you first. And it's like, oh, fuck, I clearly don't give a shit. Like, I'm clearly yeah. not paying attention, right? Yeah. Which I love the way you frame that because it's a lot of it, habit change. I've read the research just about loss aversion because it's like there's apps now that you can, you can literally put in an escrow account $500 and be like, okay, I want to lose 50 pounds, right? And it's like, if I said it's more powerful in psychology and it's weird that they buy for, like they, that they split these two and it's crazy to me that you put these two together where it's like 5% more, 5% less. More often than not in psychology around loss aversion, at least from what I've read, it's people are more worried about losing than about gaining. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can literally put $500 in an escrow account that says if I don't lose 50 pounds by January, this not only does this money get lost, but it goes towards a charity that I don't maybe, like I uh, can put it in an account and have it go to the KKK. I can do that because it's like, oh, fuck. Like as much as I don't want to lose weight, I don't want to A, lose $500 and B, give $500 to the KKK. But when I hear you talk about like 5% more, 5% less, the first a psychological epiphany I ever had, and this is the most Canadian thing ever, 
Gordon Bombay, Mighty Ducks. He's going through. He's like, yeah, I tell you what, Charlie, man, a half inch the other way, and that thing was in. And Charlie looks at him and goes, what if it was a half inch in the other direction? Then you would have missed completely. Mind fucking blown. But it's the same idea, right? Like understanding a, a, an integer on either side of the zero, like that you could go one direction or the other, where most people just go, if I did this, I'll lose this. Or if I do this, I'll gain this. But it's like, in this, I, I'm kind of pulling this from... Um, like the Peterson's idea of uh, the the future authoring program, where it's like write down all the shit you don't want to happen to yourself if you let yourself fucking be a drug addicted piece of shit, and then write down all the stuff you want to be if you were a little bit more dedicated to your life. So the fact that you put that into just two sentences and be like, here, go, yeah, and then you just let people fucking just like holy shit and like let them see the contrast yeah. in the outcome. I think yeah. is really crazy. To yeah, me. and if I can get whatever happened to me there, whatever happened to me, if I can get that to happen, like out of all of the stems and everything there, if I can get that, if one of those happens to every single person, that'd be fucking incredible. Like I can't even describe how different I've been in the last little while. It's just like, yeah, man, fucking be here right now. Be here. You know, and it's just, it's just a very different, different vehicle that attitude it's like being in a different car almost so you have you guys have 500 members at the moment yeah at any point did you think that it would grow to this uh we weren't really sure i mean like right now right now we're like we're kind of lucky to have that because we haven't been marketing marketing it at all and we haven't been putting the word out but uh no we're, we're pretty happy with that and i haven't i personally haven't been pushing it at all. Like yeah. you see on my Instagram, I don't talk about it very much. Paul's been pushing it a lot. And to be honest with you, it's like that little bit of a self-perfectionist thing. I'm just, because I'm always thinking about the ways I want to improve it, I'm never happy with it. Yeah. I'm never proud of it. And I, I always want it to be better. But now that the activities and the journaling is going to be done, I feel like, I, I literally feel confident saying it is the most powerful wellness app out there. Yeah. Like the most powerful. Because there are apps out there that are doing things for health and apps out there that are doing things for, uh, for like mental health, but none that are doing both, right? I'm sure Paul talked about how we have the CMHA yeah. uh, mental health score in there and stuff. So there's so many things that are bringing it all together to like the systematic integrated approach. And, uh, and it's something that I'm finally at a point where I'm like, yo, this is... This is a fucking beast. Like, this is awesome. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, knowing even, like, I know a perfectionist, and it's weird to see, like, how I, and I've gone on, gone on record and saying this so many times now, it must lose meaning to people that listen, but how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? And I know, like, I know you as a, I've known you as a lifter first. Like, I was a fucking Neasy fan, and then I got to meet you. I was like, holy shit. Then I got to, like, actually pay attention and listen to you. I was like, oh my God, like, this guy is, like, he's, he's so much more than on the surface, but you see, in your like in the lifting now like i see the people who pay attention to details right like you and dan when i grew up like that was it like those were and but in getting to know both of you you're two of the deepest thinkers i think i know right like being candid with some of you guys and even like ben now like those were the three guys i like idolized growing up when it came to lifting were you dan and ben like I want to be fucking big, scary, and strong. And it's like, ah, that was it right there. That was like the Mount Rushmore of fucking lifting. But now getting to know all you guys personally, it's like, maybe that's the reason. Like, you guys are, from a lifting standpoint, the way I look at it is you guys, and this is the contrast, like pulling from kind of the Eastern story of, of the shield and the spear, which is essentially the paradox of the, the unstoppable force and the immovable object. On the outward, you guys are all sharp spears. But... On the psychological side, you guys are all strong shields, 
right? Like, and that's like the paradox, like, and just it's because you think this way that you were able to manifest those thoughts on a bar. And now it's like, I think the nice part about you knowing you and Paul is like, you'll bring this thought process to a market that otherwise that probably might need it the most. Like strength culture is, is a culture that's almost rewarded in burying your awareness of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's the old guard, man. Like I see it. Like I've gone to West side, I've gone to like elite and you see these guys who have just like, there's a, there's a, there's a badge of honor in being dissonant in being cold. And it's like, man, it's not about, it's not about that. It's just being aware. Right? Like, Shit, I get emotional every day because I live the fucking best best life ever, dude. This is fucking incredible. <laughs> I get to sit around, talk with my friends, bullshit on the internet, talk to a bunch of people, and then travel around. But it's like that seems as a weakness. And it's like, no, man, that's like making your shield stronger. Like if you're aware of that. So I think it's really cool like <clears throat> that you guys are bringing this not only to the general market, but that your springboard, I think, to the general market will be through strength culture. Right, right. And uh, just to go back to what you're saying through the stability aspect, I just find it neat because when you apply it to prescript, yeah. <laughs> you can't be strong without stability. Yeah. Right? So it's just kind of neat. Wow, thanks for the, the reverse plug. See, <laughs> this asshole, I'm on here trying to fucking promote the shameless self-promoter. And what does he do? He promotes my shit. Yeah, like I said, I suck at it. Well, no, but, he, but what, what gets me really excited about it is to hear you go, okay, now it's ready. Yeah. For you to sit there and go like, this is something you'll put your name on, is yeah. like, like, just in getting to know you over the past couple of years, it's like, if it has the fucking easy stamp of approval, whether yeah. it's a human being, like that's how I got to know Paul. Like, I, I talk with Paul like once a week and probably have for the last couple of years, and it's like, I met him through you because you you were in business with him, you were friends with him. I was like, I don't need to get to know this guy. I want to get to know this yeah. guy because it's fucking Jane Easy stamped approved. This guy's a good dude. And it's like for you to sit there as a shameless self-promoter and be like, now with the journaling, now with the, the stems, now with the, you know, the backing of the, the, the mental health community in yeah, Canada. The activity, the activity tracking is a very big one as yeah. well. But until you see it, but we also took everything um, because like back when you did the interview with Paul, uh, navigating your way around the app would have been much more difficult. You're not sure which way to go. So now we, we changed everything so that it's like day, week, month, kind of, uh, so you can scroll left and right through those very easily. Um, I got a lot of help from, uh, believe it or not, Phil Kim okay. of Animal. Phil. Oh, yeah, yeah, Phil. Yeah, Phil. I, yeah I've, ta- I've talked on the phone to him at length quite a few times, and he is a highly intelligent person, highly, highly intelligent. And I like talking to him. Or I think our personalities get along very well because he gives criticism very well. And I think most people might find it harsh, but I know that he is helping me. Like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, some people can't take criticism yeah. and he delivers it like so blunt and so straightforward that I really appreciate it. Um, but he recommended this book to me as well called Inside the Box by Drew Boyd. One of the best books I've ever read for my place in life right now. It's an awesome book. And the book is basically like thinking outside the box is fucking stupid when you think about it. Because everything we know has to be based off of something. You're not, you're taking a root of knowledge. Like when we build concepts, we build concepts on top of concepts on top of concepts, right? You learn, you know, like chair, couch, table, they... They are known as furniture. Furniture goes in a house. A house where people live is called a home. A home is in a neighborhood, right? You learn concepts on top of each other, right? And um, 
So that, that is how knowledge and understanding are acquired. And so when we're thinking of like the best way to think outside the box, like the best way to, to, like th to think outside of thinking outside of the box is inside the box, right? <laughs> what kind of inception fucking rabbit hole <laughs> like, did I but, just go into? But it sounds crazy. But what sure. I mean is like, why not look at what you have? Why not? Why is everyone always trying to think outside the yeah. box and think something extremely revolutionary when revolutionary is taking what you have yeah. and making it better? Yeah, doing something. Right? And so this whole book is just about looking at the features, the components of the things that you have and how can you make them more effective or how can you take something out to make it more effective? And if you take it out, what can you do instead? Yeah. Right? Or how can you use this piece in another way? How can you... Like, so you use this piece here, maybe you can use it in another place yeah. to show something else. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really what happened here going into this update. Well, there's so much, like, I, I hear that and I think, okay, uh, there's such a sophistication in simplicity. Like, if you see an Apple uh, fucking billboard, you know how many iterations of that billboard? Oh, it's a imagine. it's a phone on a white backdrop that's, I don't know, th uh, seven meters by fucking t 10 meters. And that took 50 people eight months to figure out. Like there's, there's sophistication. <laughs> and how much money. Right? Yeah, right? Like, I, dude, I used to work with these guys. Yeah. Like they're the, the level it takes like this, to make something so simple and so impactful, like there's, there's such a level of sophistication to be said there. Like it's not about doing things. Like it's not about doing like obscure things. Like I hate this idea, especially in my space, like this, uh, this idea of, of, of like security through obscurity where it's like, you know, I, people who go around and lecture in the similar realms as me and talk about like, you know, they're talking about the, the Palmaris longus. It's like, why are we talking about an obscure muscle, the forum that not everyone has is sort of this like de-evolutionized muscle that's vestigial at this point. Why are you talking about that? Oh, because it's obscure. That makes you look, it's like, dude, let's master the basics. Let's be extraordinary at the ordinary. And I think a lot of people miss that because it's like, they think it's all been done before. It's like, no, man, there's still so much room to work within the box, I think. And if you're looking for blue water, it's just like, you're trying to be and the blue water example as well. And that's a, that's actually a pretty good book that I've read recently. Um, it's that people who look for that blue water are a mile wide. It's like people who work within the box are a mile deep. Right. And that's what I look for is like, cause if you develop strategies to go deeper in one vein of thought, regardless now, like I can talk to someone about something. My sister's a real doctor. Like I just fucking play one on Instagram. Let's not get it conflated. <laughs> but in talking with her about her field, I've got so deep in mind that I just laterally apply strategies. It's like, okay, when I was at this point and I needed to get to this point, what did I have to do to, to think? How did I have to think to get here? It's like, okay, I can apply that thinking strategy laterally, right? So the ability to just take something simple, it's something that seems like in a market that you're in, to be like saturated, honestly, like fitness tracking apps have been it, right? Like Fitbit, Whoop, like all these things, it's the aura ring and all that, but it's all you guys did was just looked at it differently, right? Like the way I see the differentiating factor in MetroLife, the way I see it is just all these things are, are symptoms and you, rather than you guys looking at causes, right? Like you, you guys are putting the, the user at the driver's seat where the user is like the user is the vehicle in, in a lot of other things, but you even say in the words you use that the app is the vehicle, right? Like it's Yeah, you I, still you still gotta do it. Like, yeah. Like, which I think like to me with like a step counter, like you are the vehicle in which to appease the thing. But even in the words you guys choose, like one of your taglines, 
is it, it uses the word, the app is the vehicle, right? It's the vehicle of change, the vehicle of behavior change. But it's like, in just, in just listening to you guys talk and the words you guys choose, like that level of thought, and like how you do one thing is how you do everything, is in the app, right? And so for you to sit there and go like, oh, I'm excited. It's like, when was the last time you were excited about anything, Jay? Like, get the fuck out of here, <laughs> which is good. Like, I think that's like, for me, that's the biggest endorsement you could ever have mm. is like take someone who's a perfectionist and goes, yeah, it's ready. It's ready now. So I yeah. think like in the, in the current space, like you'll see the difference in using it just because it's, it's, it, it's, it's afferent to efferent. If using like neurological perspective, it's, it, it's, it's, it's input to change output sort of thing where the other is output to change input. It's like that doesn't make any sense. Mm. So I just think. It's a neat way to look at it. And just, again, this is like me, my mind doesn't know fitness tracking app, but my mind knows adaptations in, in human physiology. So that's me just thinking laterally across to your platform. And that's how I frame it is like, and that's how it makes sense to me. Yeah. Cause it's cause like, and it's just like you're saying like the symptoms and causes is cause like we still have this and it's, it's been coming around a lot. Like at the Swiss symposium, I really noticed it, uh, that it's coming around that we're still like such a symptomatic kind of society like everything's treat the symptom we don't look at the cause we don't look at the big picture so like the app is really like it's kind of like not to get like too fancy with the terms but it's kind of like an app for like understanding your hermetic window you know what i mean like that's what we're doing we're tracking the aggregate of your stresses right and we're seeing how they affect your life and then from there you can determine how to act right because like do you know you you obviously use you talk to Ben all the time. I'm sure he talks about hormesis all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Like a certain amount of stress that's necessary. Yeah, like horm hormesis. Well, yeah, it's like the, the, gas, the gas syndrome. Yeah. Or the general adaptation syndrome, sorry. You know, like having zero stimulus. Like it's about toxicology of stimulus, of yeah. stress. Right? So having zero can sometimes have a negative effect. And then you have a little bit and it has a positive effect. And then if you have too much, it starts being a negative effect yeah. again. And we can think of the training sure. stimulus, right? So when we think of all of the stresses in our lives as an aggregate, that area where it's positive would be like your hermetic window. It's your ability to adapt to things. Yeah. And if you don't, so you, so picture it as like a bowl or a cup upside down yeah. and, and it's a bigger cup. It's bigger when you can recover, right? So I, I don't know. I feel weird stumbling because I don't know how much Ben talks about this. Well, stuff, I mean, I, I, and I don't like, want to repeat myself. No, no over dude, and you're over. all right. You're all right. So, I think more people need to hear this. Okay, so so like we think about the training stimulus. You know, zero training. It's a negative effect on our body. A little bit of training. It's a positive effect on our body. And then too much training, and it's a negative effect on our body again. Um, we think about like the oxidation process, right? Too much oxidation going, or a little bit, no oxidation, like no stresses in our lives that cause oxidation is not good for us. That's why exercising is good for us. You have a little bit of oxidation happening, good things are happening, but we have too much oxidation happening, you know, chronic disease. So it's looking at all those things in a dosage perspective, but it's never just one thing at a time. So everyone knows what homeostasis means. And homeostasis is like the balance that your body seeks, right? So the other term is allostasis. And allostasis is your body's ability, or sorry, it's your, bo your body's desire to achieve stability through change. While changes in life are happening, it's your body's ability to achieve change. So allostasis requires energy. Right? So you can only have so much of an allostatic load. 
And the hormetic window, if you look at that cup, that's kind of like your allostatic load. That's what you can handle, what you can recover from, what you can change. And today in society, we're living in like, like we don't have this fast in and out stresses. We have long-term, long stresses, right? So again, I always feel like you're going to have way better conversations about this with Ben. No, 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 fuck but, that, uh, This is the first time I've heard like allostatic oh, load. Or, okay, or so, yeah, no. so, like, so like when we look back, like, man, like, 10,000 years ago, whatever, it's like, you know, you're walking around, bear jumps out, ah, stress level goes, allostasis kicks in, you know, adrenaline's released, you know, your body gets your, your nerves, your senses are all heightened, your heart rate goes up, your muscles warm up so they don't pull, and you're ready to fight, right? That's like, boom, immediate stress response. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, after you've killed the bear, assuming we can yeah, kill bears, yeah, yeah. whatever, you know, your adrenaline comes down, the stress is gone, you're calm. Or we see like zebras, you know, they get, they get chased, and then when they break away from the lions, you see them do a shake. And as soon as they shake, that's them getting back into their parasympathetic mode, right? They're, they're relaxing again. That's them relieving from stress so that they can rest and digest. They can eat. So us today, we're, man, I'm stuck in this fucking traffic. I'm so pissed off. My phone won't stop going off. Like, fuck, another text. Fuck, another email. I got to go to work. I have to deal with all these fucking liberals at work oh, or Jesus. something. <laughs> yeah, you, we're in <laughs> Ottawa, Ontario right now. But like, I, dude, I literally have seen, I was in fucking, I was in Cal with Paul and I've seen fuck Trudeau bumper stickers. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, long way from Kansas. <laughs> but yeah, so like we're like we're always exposed to like even like lights and computer screens, we're always exposed to this chronic stress, like this slow, never-ending stress. But your stress response is always the same. It's always gonna be this like cortisol release, right? It's always gonna be this high stress. So our bodies are always in this like bad kind of position. And that is what's causing, you know, all of these chronic diseases. In, in for all of us. That's why all, all these diseases are on the rise. And that's why when you look at uh, like cultures, you know, more primitive cultures, they don't have any of the chronic diseases that we have. And, you know, they're disconnected. They, they, ha they enjoy their lives. And that's where like, uh, that's where I like, like everyone's always talking about meditating and breathing and relaxing, right? But it's this aggregation of stress that people need to kind of pay attention to. And that's why we have like the wellness score and the app and the mental health score, because you want to see how they're doing regularly. Because if those things on average, you know, are not doing well, like you need to change your life. You need to focus on something because you're not headed in the right direction, right? So, so that's kind of like that... Uh, the idea is like we're kind of also like scientifically trying to figure out ways to help people understand their out their own allostatic loads because like right now in a training perspective for all the people out there who simply just want to get stronger it's like if you have less stress in your life your hormetic window is bigger right your hormetic window that cup the amount of stress you can handle gets bigger if you get eight hours of sleep versus six hours of sleep so in the long run if you get eight hours of sleep you're recovering better you're going to get stronger right as opposed to just drawing the line between get eight hours of sleep you'll get stronger yeah. it's if you if you understand the why and we start looking at things in terms of an allostatic load like i have some of my online clients you know sometimes will tell me like one guy he got in a fight with his girlfriend uh, he'd been with her for a few years and they're starting to question if they want to be together, this, that, and the other. And he just sounded really down. And I was just like, you know what, man? Take the day off. If you want to train, go in and do something light. Don't do the program, though. Keep it really easy, or at the very least, just go for a walk, man. Just chill. And that's like the auto-regulation aspect towards his allostatic load. Yeah. It's, his muscles weren't sore. 
You know, and it has nothing to do with training stimulus, has nothing to do with sleep, just has to do with this guy is in a place where he is full of stress right now. And, you know, I just asked him, like, do you think training will make you feel better? Yes or no? Because sometimes when you're stressed out, we feel better when we train. And he said no. So I was like, you know what? No pressure, man. I don't care if you miss this workout. Just skip it. Go for a walk. Get your head straight. Relax. And, uh, and I think that that was like, I, I loved it. And yeah. he uses the app as well. Well, I think too, like there's such a, in understanding the, the way I explain the autonomic nervous system from a parasympathetic sympathetic standpoint is most people look at the sympathetic nervous system like temperature, like where, say, let's say heat is really hot and parasympathetic, or sorry, heat is, well, heat is really hot. Heat is very sympathetic and cold is very parasympathetic. But if you look at the relationship between hot and cold, cold is just an absence of energy. Right? But parasympathetic is not an absence of sympathetic. It in itself is another pull in another direction. Right? So the fact that you said go for a walk, that is something that puts, on, like, puts forward a parasympathetic stimulus that's not just removing a sympathetic stress. It's actually introducing a parasympathetic. Yeah. It's a pull in the other direction where I think a lot of people get this. Like maybe use a gas pedal where it's like parasympathetic is not this, the act in which of lifting off the gas. It's the act in which of changing pedal, changing state and applying a brake. And it's like, you know what the Bugatti's biggest issue is at 407 kilometers an hour is it's slowing the motherfucker down. It could go faster if it could stop the thing moving that fast. So it's like, if you want to go faster, sometimes it's like, hey, dude, put in a bigger fucking brake. Because right now, your, your delta, your change, your ability to go swing parasympathetic to sympathetic is limited by your parasympathetic. That's your anchor. Because when you fucking get going, like I was, dude, I was guilty of this. Two years ago on my birthday, I had a fucking panic attack. I was talking to Paul about it. Like I was in the fucking hospital getting a 16 lead EKG and an echocardiogram. Just because, like, I had no fucking brake pedal, man. And I was trying to pull off the gas. But one day, it was just fucking, I redlined. I literally remember sitting, looking down at my fucking eggs, and I went blind. Like, I literally couldn't see anything. By the time my vision Fuck. came back, my, my plate was covered in an inch of sweat. And I was like, I thought it was fucking dead, man. I thought, fucking drugs, powerlifting, caffeine, something. I thought it was my heart. My, my buddy's a cardiothoracic surgeon. He got me an echo EKG. He's like, dude, I wish you were patient here because I could show everyone what a perfect heart looks like. I'm thinking ventricular hypertrophy. I've been burning the candle at both ends. I've been bodybuilding and powerlifting for a decade. He goes, your heart's perfect. My next client was a, was a, she's a head of clinical psychiatry at Stanford. She's like, you know what your problem is? Fucking anxiety attack. Get a panic attack. And I was like, no shit. Cause it was all gas, no break. And it's been three years ever since just trying to fucking put a bigger break on. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. I got the horsepower. I can go. But I'm, I'm Luis Mendoza, if you will. I can't fucking stop sometimes. <laughs> so I think that having that awareness and making people aware and understanding yeah. like the fact that you even, again, in the words you choose, it's so listening to both of you guys. And I even made a point when I was talking to Paul, like, like listening to the context of the words you choose is so powerful because it, there's so much depth to it. Like, yeah, go for a walk. It's like, oh, yeah, whatever. That's fucking jerk off advice. It's like, no, it's not. It seems stupid. And like... And like, especially like in the context of like 10 minute walks, like yeah. people like everyone who's Stan Efferding's 10 minute walk, it all sure. blew up. But I was like, man, no one talks about the other benefits of the walk. Forget like the physical side. Sure. Of it. It's like, it's a meditation. Yeah. It, and if it's not meditation, it's Soma. It's like a clear mind. Yeah. Cause like when I go, I focus on how I'm walking. 
I use it as a posture drill. Yeah. So like I push, I push the ball of my foot away from the back of my head, tall. I open my arms like a hanger. I brace very lightly. I push my hips forward slightly because I notice it propels me better, right? Like I do all these yeah. little things when I'm walking. I make sure my arms are swinging naturally and I go at a pace that feels natural with all of that. And because I, it, it takes me exactly 12 minutes and 20 to 12 minutes and 28 seconds to do this loop around my house. So I can literally say like, okay, babe, I'm just going for a walk. I'll be back in 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah. And it just, once I hit that pace, it just feels so natural. Right. But I use it like that. And it, but it's also because I'm focusing on something while I'm doing it, it completely clears my mind. Yeah. I feel so much better after it. I haven't walked. Do you remember the last time we went for a walk? Yeah, outside Toronto. of Fortis East or yeah. Fortis, yeah, Fortis West, sorry, Jeremy's place. See, yeah. I remember our walking dates that we've had. But no, just the level of impact. Like, I haven't walked the same since. You explained that to me. You had like Nike, Nike Freeze on, I think. Yeah. And you were talking about, we were talking about gate cycle and fucking random meathead mechanic shit. And I've been mindful of that ever since. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. I call it mindful walking. Like, I, that's there literally how I, 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 I love having conversations because, like, you're, you will bring to the table people who need this the most because people see the sharp spear. They see the fucking kneesy with the hair and the deadlifts and the gyms and on the jumps and the fucking neuro grips and they just <laughs> go, like, and the arm wrestling, all that crap. And it's just, like, they see that and they go, oh, how did he get that way? Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the strong shield. That's, that's what, that's how he's able to do this. Cause how he does that is how he does everything else in his life. Whether yeah. it's, Hey, hairdresser lady, you must be really happy. Like that, this is that mindfulness. It, it, it goes to all parts of your life. And I think mm. that's the hard part. Like I, I've, I listen to podcasts and I've talked to people cause you, you, especially you, like you, you always put up the quote about, and I think you may even, even said this in the seminar we did a couple of years ago about like the warrior in the garden. Right. Right. Because there's a lot of people who are just fucking gardeners in gardens talking about gardening. And it's like, I listen, you know, I'll listen to Ferris. I'll listen to some of these. I read Ryan Holiday. I'll fuck Ryan Holiday up. Like, Ryan, Ryan Holiday wants to go toe to toe for whatever reason. <laughs> I'll fuck that dude up. Like, he doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. So when I listen to that, and it's like, okay, like, he obviously, as he's a very smart guy, he's overcome a lot of different stresses in his life. But I resonate with someone who like who who knows where what it takes to get to the point to push from a physical perspective to sharpen the spear. I know a lot of people with fucking solid shields, but it's like you're not a weapon. You know what I mean? It's mm. good that you can you know interpret it and relax and meditate, but it's like I want to see you turn up. Like if, I, if Ryan Holiday was also a cage fighter, he'd be my favorite author of all time. <laughs> and I think that's the cool part about like listening to you and Paul, like you'll go there. Like, you know where to go. And it's like the fact that you guys deem this is so important has been the reason that I bought into this. And like the reason I'm not in a fucking hospital every week with him, like going blind from anxiety attacks. Cause I would read it from people that I didn't necessarily understand. And then when I started like talking to you, it was probably one of the first, I remember the drive in Toronto, like in the caddy rolling deep on the gardener. And we were talking about existential philosophy. And I was like, this dude is like one of the baddest power lifters in like history. <laughs> and he's talking about like psychology. He's not, we're not talking about deadlifts or anything. And then getting to know Paul, getting to know Ben, getting to know Dan. And I was like, Oh, this is the ticket. Like this is, this is where all that comes from. So it's just like the fact that Metro life will reach these people because you guys are sharp spears, I think is a really powerful thing. Um, and obviously like if you're listening to this and you listen to the last one, like we don't endorse shit. We just have cool people talk about cool shit. So Metrolife, um, App Store, iTunes, 
Uh, and Google Play. And Google yeah. Play. So it's M-E-T-R-I-L-I-F-E. Yeah, one word. One word. Um, Instagram. Uh, underscore Metrolife. <laughs> underscore Metrolife. Yeah. I'll put it all link in show notes. Yeah. Now, any closing notes on Metrolife on like what's to come, what to look out for? Uh, well, we, ha- we still have a lot, a lot of updates coming. This is like, <laughs> I just told you my two major tenets, right? Yeah. And one of them is to always be striving to yeah. evolve. So this, it's always going to be evolving. It's always going to be getting better. We're always going to find ways to make it better for people. Um, that's like something that's at, at our core, like we were talking about before we went on. I said, I, I don't even know if we want to take in a lot of investors or anything because I don't want the direction of the company to ever be about company growth. I want the direction to always be about this impact, this, this, the product, you know, yeah. making it better to add more value to people's lives to have greater impact. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's always going to be evolving. We have like some buddy systems underway so that, uh, so that people can look at each other's, uh, metri lives with permissions on what they can see so that we can really, it'll, it'll, it'll really change the way coaching is done and therapy is done and even people's relationships with their, their doctors, uh, even how, if I can, like, the original idea was coined before we even started creating the app is I wanted something so I could follow my grandparents. <laughs> Literally, like, like man, I want to know how they're sleeping. I want to know if they're taking their medication. I want to know how they're feeling today because I don't see them all the time. And that's how it originally started. And I'm like, yeah, so we can do all these things. So that kind of thing is happening for, further down the road. We're working on those updates now. Uh, so hopefully that won't be too much longer either. And... Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, like, go to the App Store, Google, Google Play Store, check it out. A tag Instagram uh, underscore Metro Life. Yep. And then Jane Easy two ten. Twenty twenty one hundred. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know my parents' phone number, but I know your Instagram handle up our twenty one hundred. And follow need um, at Beefcake underscore Meatloaf <laughs> or whatever the fuck. Uh, but we'll put it all in the show notes. Like, do yourself a favor, guys. Check it out. Um, you, you guys have been listening long enough to know that we don't ever do this. So I think it's definitely worth worth checking out. And then tag us tag us on on the old Instagram there. Tag Jay, tag Match Your Life, tag Be- Beefcake and Meatloaf yeah. and Paul. Um, but yeah, so I think, appreciate your time, man. Thanks for taking an hour and chatting. And um, I'm going to be back in Ottawa in October. And so we'll corny again and we'll chat about Metro Life again. Sounds good.